Joe Biden, President of the United States of America, just came from a meeting, a long meeting, with Pope Francis, in which he said, Pope Francis says that he was a good Catholic and that he should continue receiving Holy Communion. I believe that this meeting with Joe Biden and Pope Francis, and then the one we just had a couple weeks ago with Nancy Pelosi and Pope Francis, it's part of a strategy of how the, I want to be careful how I say this, how the human leadership, the corrupt human leadership in the Catholic Church, how they are running cover for the globalist politicians, and in particular politicians who are promoting the termination of innocent human life in the womb. This is part of a plan. And it's a historic day because today Pope Francis has overturned the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas when it comes to giving Holy Communion to public sinners. I'll explain that today. He has overturned St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he's attempted to overturn the canons of the Council of Trent. When has a man claiming to be Pope ever done any of these things? It is truly historic. Now, here's the tweet that uh, Joe Biden put out after his meeting. He says, it was an honor to meet with Pope Francis again at the Vatican today. I thanked His Holiness for his advocacy for the world's poor and those suffering from hunger, conflict, persecution, and lauded his leadership in fighting the climate crisis and ending the pandemic. Oh, what about the pandemic of babies being killed? About the pandemic of children not growing up in nuclear families because of all the corruption in our society, the tolerance of divorce, contraception, the A-word, unnatural relations, etc. What about that? So here is the clip. I'll run the clip and then we'll do the prayers. Uh, I've queued it up and you can hear the conversation. Now, the full meeting was not recorded. It's not public, so we don't get to see it. Um, but we do get to see their interaction and Joe Biden giving Francis a coin. And I think we'll just... We'll go ahead and cue it up. So let me take the stuff off the screen. There we go. And run it. Go. Here we go. I'm not sure this is appropriate, but there's a tradition in America. Well, I know my 
I'm just going to pause here. When he says, I know my son would want to give this to you, I don't believe he's talking about Hunter. He's talking about Bo, who has uh, passed away, may he rest in peace, and uh, who, who served in the reserves. I have the state of Delaware. Is it 200 on the back of it? I have the state of Delaware. Is it 261st unit my son served with? So can you no, the tradition is, and I'm only kidding about this, next time I see you, if you don't have it, you have to buy the drinks. I'm, I'm the only Irishman you've ever met who's never had a drink. Okay, so there it is. Now, we, like I said, we don't have the full meeting. We don't have the full meeting. But we do have uh, Joe Biden coming out and saying, Pope told me I was a good Catholic and I should keep receiving Holy Communion. And that, of course, goes against the teaching of Paul, St. Thomas Aquinas, and the Catechism and the Canons of Trent. Now, what I wanted to do is use this opportunity to explain the traditional teaching on communion, on refusing communion. There's a lot of I mean, it's also in the current Code of Canon Law, 1983 Code of Canon Law, and why it's there. You know, often when people come to our house, uh, we offer them food. We offer them drink right away. That's being hospitable. Even someone you don't know, you come in, hey, can I make you a drink? Would you like some snacks? Sometimes you already have snacks out. You know, we like to do a charcuterie board. You know, we got that, some fruit maybe, just to make people feel at ease and at home, something nice. And that's kind of just basic human behavior, basic human goodness. And so I think a lot of people who aren't Catholic, or maybe they are Catholic, they look at a scenario and they're like, so we come to church, and then the Catholics have this ritual, the Mass, and it involves the priest, who's the father figure, um, giving food to other people. And that's a welcoming gesture that's kind. They can see how this is just basic human kindness. So when they hear that the priest would refuse the food, that seems unwelcoming. That seems exclusive. It seems rude. It seems mean. It's, you know, from an outsider looking in, it would be like if I had a, a dinner party of 10 people uh, and they all, you know, I come into the house and uh, we got the charcuterie board and maybe we have a, a bottle of wine open and, you know, maybe we got a good single malt scotch or with the bar and everybody's coming in and then as everyone's starting to enjoy I say hey uh, you're not from Texas are you let's say that one couple of the five the ten people are from uh, New Jersey I'm like hey you're not from Texas are you no and we're from New Jersey oh well then you can't have any of these snacks hey uh, Joy can you just make sure that they don't get to the charcuterie board and uh, could you make sure that they don't get any wine that'd be really rude wouldn't it I mean, they would be deeply offended. Everyone there would feel uncomfortable, like, man, 
Marshall's a total jerk. Just because these people are from New Jersey, they don't get to partake of the refreshments, the snacks. So that's basic human observation and human kindness. So then when it comes to the Eucharist, where you come into the house of God, and there's a table, because that's kind of the post-Vatican II nomenclature, not altar, but table, and then there's a priest who's father, and he's giving food. It just kind of seems like whoever's there, they should get some snacks, a snackrament. Everyone there. And if you somehow said, hey, hey, that guy right there, he shouldn't get communion. That's rude, right? That's rude. Now, the problem with that is going back to our Lord Jesus Christ and then with the apostles, there is a distinction made and there are certain criteria required to receive the graces of the Holy Eucharist and the sacrifice of the Mass. The most obvious is to be baptized. All right, you got to be baptized and you have to be repentant of your sins and you have to believe in Christ, hope in your salvation, have love for God and love for your fellow man, faith, hope, and charity, and have repentance for all of your sins. If you've had mortal sins, to have them absolved by a priest. We call that the sacrament of penance, sacrament of confession. Where does this come from? I'm going to take this verse off the screen right here. Jeremiah 21, 1 through 3. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, pasture declares the Lord. And I'm going to put up a different verse. Hopefully it's ready. I thought I had it ready, but my computer crashed right before we went live. And wouldn't you know it, it looks like that was lost. But it's okay. I can quickly recover it. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's towards the end of that chapter. I'm going to have to pull it up once again. I apologize. Every time I do a big show, like a real big show, like two or three times a year, the computer crashes. I was just about to push go live and then everything was just wonky and frozen and I had to shut down the computer and took me like 10 minutes to get everything back up. But it's okay, we are back up and guess what? I went ahead and I went into my digital Dewey Rames Bible in the New St. Thomas Institute and I grabbed that section of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to read it to you because this is where we get the whole idea that Holy Communion is not offered to everyone available. And by the way, a lot of people when this happened yesterday, they're like, Marshall, do a video. Why aren't you talking about Joe Biden and the Pope? I waited a little bit because I wanted to see what Biden's plan was. And Biden's plan happened just a few hours ago, the next day. Today it actually happened. And it was this. Joe Biden receives communion in Rome with Pope's permission. That just happened. All right, that just happened. And so this is why I wanted to wait. I wanted to see what what is the publicity stunt that follows the meeting with the Pope where the Pope says you can keep receiving Holy Communion and the, the, the aftermath is that Joe Biden immediately went to a Catholic church and he received Holy Communion publicly to make the statement that if I can receive communion in Rome under the observation of the Pope and with his permission, well, I can do it in D.C., I can do it in Dallas, Texas, I can do it in Tyler, Texas, 
under Bishop Strickland and I can do it in San Francisco and LA and anywhere I go because I have papal diplomatic immunity. Now, I asked in the, uh, the video before I went live, I did a poll. Did Pope Francis say the right thing to Biden or the wrong thing? Now, this brings us to 1 Corinthians, a little typo here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you shall eat this bread and drink the chalice, you shall show the death of the Lord until he come. Therefore, I'm right here, verse 27. Therefore, whoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Consider this for a moment. Who is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord? In other words, that's saying, if you receive Holy Communion and you're not in a state of grace, you're not properly disposed for Holy Communion, you are guilty of murdering Christ. Deicide, the highest crime. If there was something in your home that if someone ate it, they would be guilty of a serious crime or be poisoned, wouldn't you be careful that they not receive it? Going back to my opening analogy, remember we're having the dinner party, we have five couples, ten people, and I find out the people from New Jersey, and I'm like, oh, you can't eat the food, you can't have the wine, you can't have a scotch, you can't enjoy, you can't partake of the gifts that we're having right now. But what if it were the case, this is just a crazy analogy, that I was serving this food and it had some kind of kryptonite in it that always killed New Jersey people. It always harmed people from New Jersey. Again, this is a crazy analogy. Wouldn't actually be charitable and kind and good for me to be like, yo, New Jersey people, please don't eat this food because you're going to die. You're going to get poisoned. Texas people are immune. You know, you could do the same thing with maybe like water, you know, like when Americans drink water in Mexico versus the locals. I don't know. But the whole idea here is, is that if someone is not baptized, if someone is not a Catholic, the most charitable and good thing you can do for them is say, hey, please don't receive Holy Communion. I know it might seem rude or makes you feel exclusive, but trust me, uh, it's really for your best. I'd love to teach you about Christ and, and his sacraments and his church and his gospel, but... When we say, please refrain, what we're really saying is, I don't want you to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As St. Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Then St. Paul in verse 28 says, but let a man prove himself. This is an older, kind of an older English way of saying, let him test himself. But let a man prove, test himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the chalice. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. Do you see how serious the early church understood the Eucharist? If you don't prove yourself, test yourself, examine your conscience is what we would say, right? Like, am I in a state of sin right now or am I in a state of grace right now? And if you pray that prayer and ask God, and God says, you're in a state of sin, man. You need to get to confession. You should not go to communion. And if the Holy Ghost says, you're in a state of grace, 
Now, of course, we're fallible. We might have this wrong in our mind, but we can pray and we can discern. Paul tells us to prove ourselves. He, he actually commands us to do this exercise before we receive the Eucharist. You should always do this, by the way, in case someone, someone's never taught you this. And then it says, For whoever eateth or drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself. In other words, you are condemning yourself deeper and deeper into hell. Because you're taking something that is the most sacred, Jesus Christ, second person in the Trinity, his pure, immaculate body, the most sacred thing given for our salvation, and you are not disposed to receiving it properly as he instituted. You're taking something, a tool for the wrong job, and you're defacing it. And then verse 30, therefore, are there many infirm and weak among you and many sleep? But if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So you can kind of think of the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is Calvary. It is the representation. It is the oblation of Jesus Christ to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. That is what it is. But it is also, in a way, the eschatological end day doomsday. It is the judgment day. It is the wedding supper of the Lamb, as you see in the apocalypse. And that is a supper. It is a party. It is a gathering around the eternally sacrificed Lamb, Jesus Christ. And it is a judgment. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? As Christ says, are you saved or are you damned? And that's why every time you go to Mass, you have to prove yourself. You have to test yourself interiorly. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? If I'm a sheep, I go up to the altar. If I'm a goat, I go to the back of the church where there's a confessional and I become a sheep again. And this is what the priests, who are shepherds, should be teaching the people and instructing them what to do. If the shepherds do not instruct the sheep, we have another saying from sacred scripture, prophet Jeremiah's, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas handles a very important distinction on denying people communion inside church. By the way, for those of you joining us, we're talking about the big news of Joe Biden meeting Pope Francis. And then just a few hours ago, Joe Biden receiving communion in public in Rome to sort of validate what the Pope had told him to do and to send a message back to America that he has diplomatic immunity inside the Catholic Church. No one should be denying Joe Biden communion. What I'm doing is, is going through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and now I'm entering into the distinctions of St. Thomas Aquinas on denying communion. St. Thomas Aquinas makes a distinction between public and private sinners. Public and private sinners. Because he asked the question, did Judas Iscariot receive the Holy Eucharist? At the Last Supper, the night before Christ was betrayed. The night in which Judas betrayed him. A few hours later, when they were all together, did Judas receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ? It's Catholic teaching that Christ held his own body and blood in his hands 
in the transubstantiated elements and gave them to the apostles and they received the very first Eucharist in that evening. It wasn't a symbol. It actually was the body of Christ given to them in that moment. And tradition is that Judas Iscariot did in fact receive communion. This raises an important question. If Judas was a sinner, he was, he was guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. He was going to betray Jesus, and he knew that Christ, his King and Lord, was going to be crucified outside of Jerusalem for these crimes, and he betrayed him anyway. If Christ knew that he was that bad of a sinner, and he was stealing from the purse of the apostles, and Christ gave him communion, doesn't that mean that every priest should always give communion to even the worst sinners? I mean, who could be a worse sinner than Judas Iscariot? So what Thomas Aquinas explains is he goes to, well, this is found in Summa Theologiae, Tertia Pars, Part 3, Question 80, Article 6. This is where I'm getting this from, from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and, the, and the article on Judas is the very next question in Tertia Pars, in the third part. He said there's a distinction between private, secret sinners and public sinners, or what he calls notorious sinners. And he says whenever it comes to secret or private sinners and they present themselves at the altar for communion, the priest always gives communion to the secret sinners. Let me give you an example. Let's say the priest somehow knows, maybe he's, um, I don't know, he's in a parking lot and he sees one of his parishioners running out of a bank with two bags full of money and the police are chasing him and he jumps in his car and he drives off. Okay, like, oh wow, that was my parishioner there robbing the bank. Well, that doesn't work actually. I got to change it because that's actually public because the police saw it. Let me change the scenario because this matters. Let's say it's late at night. He's in a parking lot and he sees one of his parishioners stealing um, radios out of people's cars and no one is around. He's like, wow, that's Bob. He's stealing radios out of cars in this parking lot. That's really bad. And then he sees him drive off. Okay, so the, the priest knows that he's involved in some serious theft going on, right? And you can make it stealing whatever, or he could say he shot someone and no one else saw it. Any kind of thing where only the priest knows the sin. According to Thomas Aquinas, if only the priest knows the sin, it's not a public sin, the priest has to give the sinner communion. He can't stop in the communion line and say, Bob here was stealing radios last night, or Bob here, I saw him murder someone and throw him off the bridge. He can't do it. You can't deny him communion for that reason. However, if the sin were to be public, let's say that Bob on television murdered someone or Bob divorced his wife and submitted the legal juridical papers in a public court of law. Any of these public crimes that are seen by everyone, if they're mortal sins and there's no public repentance, says Thomas Aquinas, 
that man or woman should be publicly denied communion when he presents himself. And the difference, Thomas Aquinas says, is one is a uh, is discreet and it's not seen, it's private. The other one is a public scandal to the church. That's the distinction that he makes, and that's the same distinction that runs up through the Council of Trent. What we've seen today is truly historic. We have seen a man claiming to be Pope say, well, that no longer applies. Anyone who is doing something that's publicly grave sin, for example, promoting and using taxpayer money to provide abortion to citizens of the United States of America, that's a mortal sin, and actively pursuing that legal agenda can receive communion. And then this would go on with other things too, such as um, a man publicly, he commits adultery flagrantly. He openly dismisses and divorces his wife and he takes on a concubine or whatever. All of this is gravely sinful but he shouldn't be uh, refused Holy Communion. See, Thomas Aquinas would say, no, that's all in the public eye, and therefore the priest has a duty to deny communion in the public eye. So what we've seen here is the distinction, the careful distinction that Thomas Aquinas makes in Summa Theologiae, third part, question 80, article 6. That distinction Pope Francis has formally denied. And it's not surprising because Francis denied that in Amoris Laetitia as well. When he basically said, well, basically, when he says, and in his clarification to the South American bishops, that a man who abandons his wife and takes on another woman can receive communion. Again, we have a public grave sin, but formally, as long as that was the case, that man, because he's in a public grave sin situation, he cannot present himself for Holy Communion. The priest before Vatican II, would have said, you may not receive communion. Talk to me afterwards. That's what would have happened before Vatican II. Or when the Emperor Theodosius had killed a bunch of people, the Thessalonians, in a stadium, and he came to Milan and he wanted to go to Mass and receive communion, Bishop Ambrose, St. Ambrose says, don't even come into the church. You have public sin, public mortal sin. We got to take care of the public mortal sin, and then you can publicly come to Holy Communion. So this is the distinction. And I understand, like I said in the beginning, we all think of hospitality and inclusivity as you come to my house, I give you the charcuterie, got a bowl of grapes, got a chilled bottle of white wine, uh, you know, I got maybe a good bourbon here for some of the gentlemen. You know, it's a welcoming environment. And for me to say you can't have that is mean and exclusive and what a jerk. But what we're talking about here is not a charcuterie tray and some grapes and some chilled uh, white wine. We're talking about this food is Jesus Christ. This food is the second person in the Trinity. This food is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the way we receive it, either in grace, it, we grow in grace, or in sin, in rebellion, we damn ourselves worse, right? So there is sort of a, an A-B 
split outcome on how you receive this food. And this food is God. That's what, that's what people are missing in this debate. The food that you receive is God. And that's why traditionally you don't walk up with your dirty paws and handle it or have lay people handling it traditional or walking around like walk up like a drive through no traditionally you get on your knees this is holy food this is god you're eating god you're receiving god the son of god second person in the trinity fully god fully man you get on your knees you receive on your tongue the altar boy puts a golden plate beneath your chin just in case the host falls, it falls upon gold, not some nasty carpet from 1984. Falls on gold because it is so precious. It's more precious than a $5,000 meal somewhere. It's more precious than gold. It's more precious than diamonds. It's more precious than the most expensive car you can find or the most expensive watch you can find. It's more precious than all those things. Why? Because it is the creator of the universe. It is the Logos. It is the Messiah. It is the Son of God. And so when someone comes forward and they are publicly in rebellion with the morality and the faith of the Catholic Church, it has always, until Allegedly today with Pope Francis, it has always been the case that public grave sinners are publicly refused communion. Now, that doesn't mean that priests have to be jerks or ring a big bell and say, excuse me, I'd like to make an announcement. Uh, this guy here is living in adultery and he just came up for communion and I just denied him. doesn't have to be like that. It can be a whisper. It can be talk to me after Mass. As a matter of fact, it's the obligation of the bishops, the episcopate, if they have prominent public sinners like Catholic movie stars, Catholic politicians, like people in the public eye, they should be making private meetings. And maybe they are, and we just don't know about it. Props to them. They should have private meetings with these Catholics and say, for the good of your soul, I'm coming to admonish you. I want you to be a saint. And we're going to put away the deeds of the flesh and we're going to put on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We're going to put on the virtues and we're going to become a saint. That's what I'm here as a bishop, as a shepherd, to teach you as a Catholic. And I, I'm not a politician, but if I were in a public sin, I would want to be admonished by a bishop. I would want that. I would receive that. I don't want to go to hell. That's like... My number one goal in life is to go to heaven and be with Jesus. That's my number one goal. Everything else is way below that. So if I'm off track somewhere, and I very well could be, if I'm off track, I really would want to have that guidance to show me. And I would want to not receive communion until I got right with the Lord. And that's really what this whole conversation is about. Now, I think the fallout from this, from Pope Francis basically destroying the distinction that Thomas Aquinas makes and that St. Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 11, the fallout is the practical destruction of the pro-life movement in America. 
what Francis has taught today by Joe Biden being told to receive communion and then him receiving communion in Rome, what Francis has taught today to the world is Catholic people, lay people, religious, deacons, priests, monsignors, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and popes, and politicians, and kings, and governors, and presidents, and prime ministers, all of you have zero moral obligation to fight for the baby in the womb. Look, if Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America, and he has done zilch, zero, nothing to fight for the infant in the womb. Nothing. As a matter of fact, he's run the football the other way for the other team for what, 40 years now? Look at his score with the pro-choice groups. They love him. Same thing with Nancy Pelosi. So not only has he not had a moral obligation to rescue and be an advocate for the human person, the baby in the womb. He's actually been running the football down the other way, scoring touchdowns for not the Catholic Church, but for the opposite of the Catholic Church, the enemies of the Catholic Church. So if he gets the stamp of approval from Francis, what that communicates back home to America and to the whole world is, hmm, Homeschool mom with five kids, you have no moral obligation to fight for the unborn. Lawyer, you have no obligation to fight for the unborn. Governor of Florida, Texas, California, y'all have no obligation. You have no expectation from the Pope in Rome or from the Catholic Church to do anything to advocate to be a hero for the unborn. What I'm hearing today is from Francis's Taylor Marshall, whether you make videos supporting the A-word or opposing the A-word, it has really no, to me, Francis, it has no bearing on whether you're on the path to be receiving Jesus every day or every Sunday. Do you know how shocking that is? Do you know how shocking that is that that a man claiming to be Pope would do such a thing? I mean, this is a historic day in the history of Catholicism. The Pope has attempted, I'm not saying he has, attempted to overturn scripture and tradition in this action. And of course, it was already printed in Amoris Laetitia on the issue of, of, of the sanctity of marriage, the indissolubility of marriage. Now it's on the topic of public sin being a public vocal advocate for the right to destroy life in the womb and not just the right to destroy the right not even a right to destroy life in the womb but to take my money taylor marshall and all the american money take our tax money and make us indirectly pay for it with our tax money that is the agenda of joe biden and Francis says he is a good Catholic and he should receive, he should continue receiving Holy Communion and he received communion today in Rome. Look, I'm not saying that I'm going to heaven and Joe Biden is going to hell. 
Everybody listen to me right now. I am not saying that I'm going to heaven and that Joe Biden's going to hell. It could very much be the case as time runs on that Joe Biden goes to heaven and Taylor Marshall goes to hell. We don't believe in one saved, always saved. That is not historical Christianity. There's not one Christian in the first 1,500 years of Christianity who believed in once saved, always saved. We believe you either die in a state of grace or you don't. So I'm not even saying that Joe Biden is going to hell and I'm not patting myself on the back saying I'm going to heaven. I don't know where I'm going. I go to confession. I pray the rosary. I talk to Jesus hopefully every morning and every evening. Pray before my meals. Read the Bible. Try to try to do good. Try to help the orphan and the widow and pro-life work. I, I hope all that, you know, and I do it in faith. So I sense by sort of an inward disposition, communication with the Holy Ghost, that I'm on the right track. But I don't presume that I'm in. No way. And that's why I say if I were off track, I wouldn't want someone saying, go ahead and receive communion. No big deal. Because St. Paul, we just saw on the screen, we just saw what St. Paul said. That if you do it unworthily, you're eating and drinking condemnation on yourself. In other words, you're going deeper and deeper. Every time you receive communion unworthily, you're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into hell. Your place in hell goes hotter and hotter and deeper and deeper every single time. Every single time you receive communion unworthily. That's why if you're in mortal sin, stay in your pew and pray. Stay in your pew and pray. And God sees that you're at Mass to honor him, and even though you can't receive communion, he's already giving you actual graces that are going to help you get back into a state of sanctifying grace, habitual grace. Okay? So, this is not to judge other people. What it is to say is we Catholics, for two thousand over 2,000 years, have had a objective standard by which we know when we go to communion and when people are off base in a public way, a manifest public way, priests and bishops also are there as shepherds saying, mm, let's not eat that, let's not have, let's not consume the Son of God because of this public scandal, this public sin in your life. Let's first fix that and then you're right here next to us at the altar receiving Holy Communion. Pope Francis loves to talk about being on the journey. Yes. Pilgrims along the way. So often, St. Thomas Aquinas calls people who are in grace the viator, the person on the way, the journeyman. is probably the best way to translate in English. We should be journeymen on the journey with one another. And if we're going along the way and someone is doing something that's pushing them, instead of closer to Jesus, deeper into hell, deeper into condemnation, Yes, that needs to be taken care of. That's called being pastoral, not in the like weak, cheesy, sentimental Vatican II, spirit of Vatican II. Well, we can't do anything anymore because that wouldn't be pastoral. What they really mean is we don't have a spine, so we just hide under pastoral. Truly pastoral would be to protect the sheep. Protect the sheep. And that's why Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe. I talked about woe before. Woe. Woe means 
A conditional judgment is about to fall on you if you don't change your ways. That's what a woe is in the Bible. Woe to the shepherds. He's putting out a condition. And if you don't meet this condition, you do the wrong thing and don't do the right thing, you fall into condemnation. Now, a big part of this is so many of the bishops really don't believe anyone's going to hell. If they do believe in a hell, they believe, hey, it's probably going to be empty. When we were in seminary, we all read von Balthasar, and von Balthasar said, dare we hope that all men be saved? And it's just looking so good that everyone, you know, everyone does one good deed in their life, and everyone says one little prayer in life, and that just means everyone's going to heaven. No, that's not Catholicism either. This is why I say y'all need to study traditional Catholicism. You know, if you don't have the Catechism of the Council of Trent, you haven't read it cover to cover, let's get on it. Life is short. Let's read the whole Bible, Genesis to Apocalypse, or Table of Contents to Maps. Let's read the whole thing. Maybe, I don't know if we're in the last days, I hate to say that kind of stuff, but if we are in the last days, yeah, you know what? We need to be, we need to be in shape, spiritual shape. I don't think one prayer a day is enough. I think we need to pick up some weapons. I think we need to be, we need to be spiritually fit. We need to be spiritually ripped, right? That means we have to read the Bible. We have to pray the rosary. We have to go to confession. We have to be prepared. You have to be so spiritually fit that if martyrdom comes about, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we, like the early martyrs, would go out to martyrdom singing hymns, singing spiritual songs to the Lord, going out in a joyful procession to meet Christ face to face. Those guys, those women who were those early martyrs, they were spiritual giants. They were fasting. They were praying. They were doing vigils. They were saints. They were good men. We have to be those men and women today. So I know this is discouraged. I'm discouraged. I can't believe that a in effect, Francis has overturned the Apostle Paul, Thomas Aquinas, and Trent. And of course, and of course, Joe Biden tweets about it and boasts about it, right? Here it is. So did Nancy Pelosi. Biden's team released a video. Nancy Pelosi's team released a video. They are just making sure that when they come back home and they're in D.C. See, now Biden is going to present himself. He's going to go to church every Sunday and say, I'm a good Catholic. I'm a good Catholic. I'm a good Catholic. And every other Catholic in America is going to be like, so I can vote Democrat and vote pro-choice and I'm still legit. And Biden's going to be like, of course, that's what the Pope says. I'm like, okay. And then there's going to be a teenage Catholic girl who finds herself pregnant. And she's going to be like, well, I can get an abortion because Biden promotes it, and Francis says he can receive communion, so it all kind of fits together somehow, and I'm in a hard spot right now. So, and this is where we're at right now. So, as I always say, in these uncomfortable situations, you, the solution, you can't fly to Rome right now and have a meeting with the Pope, and you can't fly to D.C. and have a meeting with Biden. What can you do? You can be a saint. You can lead people around you. There's 7 billion people on earth, if you, and there's 1 billion Catholics. If each of us leads 6 or 7 people to Christ in the Catholic Church, the whole world's converted. It's done. 
your job, your vocation is to lead other people to Christ and to lead yourself to Christ, to get to heaven. Things are getting more difficult. Things are getting more stressful politically and spiritually. I mean, here's kind of the whole picture of the stressful political spiritual situation, isn't it? That's a picture of it right there. The only way you're going to have peace, the only way you're going to have a good weekend this weekend with Halloween and All Hallows Day, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day coming up, the only way that's going to happen is that the Prince of Peace lives inside of you. The only way that happens is if you become a saint. And a saint means that you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Sanctus Spiritus. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is in you. And you are overflowing with the waters of life, as Christ teaches in the Gospel of John. The only way you can do that is if you are open to God's graces. And there are a number of ways the Catholic Church teaches being open to God's graces. Of course, you have to be baptized to get the whole the sprinkler system running right to spread around these graces but you go to mass the night before mass you make a preparation to receive holy communion uh, you go to confession regularly if you have mortal sin you go right away you pray the novenas you keep lent strictly not just in the minimal way but in a hard way uh, you keep advent you keep the vigils you keep the fast days and the days of penance. Friday is a day of penance for you. You don't eat hamburgers and steak and shake, and you don't go to Outback for the steak on Friday. You have the salad. You have a simple piece of, sh of fish. These are the ways that we open ourselves to God, and these are the ways that we find peace, and these are the ways that hopefully, with a synergy of the Holy Spirit, we're bringing people to Christ. There's not much you and I can do about this, except in our prayers, in our own sanctity, we're preparing for something to happen, and we don't know what that is. And that's, what, that's why we have faith. That's why we have faith. So pray the rosary every single day. Pray the rosary every day, or you're not on the team. That's the answer. And if you're not sure about the rosary, maybe you're a Protestant or you're a Catholic that doesn't know the rosary, I wrote a short, small introduction to the rosary. It's called The Rosary in 50 Pages. It's a 50-page book on how to pray the rosary. Why do we pray the rosary? Why do we pray the rosary? What's the point of that? Are we worshiping Mary? Are we taking something away from Jesus and giving it to Mary? And then how do we pray the rosary? And if we want to pray the rosary in Latin, how do we? This book tells you all those things. It gives you quotes from the saints, encouragement. This book is really a 50-page pamphlet encouraging you to live the life of the rosary, which is Our Lady's Psalter. And it's just, it's the circle of beads going around studying the life of Jesus. Rattle the beads, pray the rosary. So get that. Uh, if you want a signed copy, you can get it on Amazon or Catholic bookstores. If you want a signed copy, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash dr. Taylor Marshall, patreon.com, Dr. Taylor Marshall. Send out signed copies of books, not just that books, but other books like Infiltration and others. Um, that's supporting this channel and supporting my work. You'd be a patron at Patreon. Okay, friends, 
remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, so go out there and be salty. And also, tomorrow is All Hallows Eve. It is a Catholic day. All Hallows Eve is a Catholic day. It is the vigil. It is the eve of All Hallows, which means you and everyone in your home should be concentrated and focused on the saints of Jesus Christ. Your focus should be, here's Jesus Christ on the cross dying for our sins, and then the power of that cross went and transformed all these sinful people into saints. That's what you're celebrating. Teach yourself that and teach your kids that. Teach your family that. So happy Halloween and happy All Hallows. Till then, God bless and God speed.